Please take your Bibles this morning. Let's come to Matthew chapter 9 to begin with. Matthew 9. And as you can see on the outline that you've been given, we will be in the book of James. I was asked by some this morning already, what does the abbreviation J-A-S mean? Then I messed with them and said, that's in the Apocrypha. (laughs) Actually, that's that's the abbreviation that you find for the book of James. Uh, So I'm sorry if that was confusing to anyone, but Matthew 9 and verse 36. And today, uh, those of you at home, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you're watching via live stream, you can see the title of the sermon. For those of you in the auditorium, you see it on the paper. We're preaching today about a working prayer life a working prayer life. It's one thing to have a prayer life. It's a whole other thing to have a prayer life that actually works. And that's what we want to focus our attention on today. You might be tempted to say right away, but pastor, didn't you just preach about prayer two, three weeks ago? I don't think we can exhaust that subject, can we? It's, it's not a matter of, well, we've touched on it. You guys have been reminded. We, we know what we need to know. We move on. Uh, especially as it pertains to missions, I think it's important that we find a working prayer life. Matthew 9 and verse 36, the Bible says, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, forgive me if I pause here and there, that's part of missions. You know what you saw on the screen this morning? This is why we show the missionary presentations, by the way, is so that you, you, you know the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. It's easy to think that the whole world is just here in Pachastrum, right before me. But there are people in Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Deutschland, that they, they need to hear the gospel. And it's good for us to see the multitudes. It says here, when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Notice what moved the heart of Jesus was not just their physical condition. You can read in the chapter, he had been healing people. He was aware of their physical problems. He didn't ignore that. But what really touched his heart was their spiritual condition. Sheep not having a shepherd. These people were fainting. They were discouraged. They were Lost, not just eternally, but even in this life. They didn't know which way to turn, how to live, where to find comfort, peace, joy. They lacked all of that. They had no strong spiritual leadership. Verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. 2,000 years later we say amen. It's still true. It's still true. This is the only prayer request Jesus ever shared. He was moved with compassion on the multitudes. He turns to his disciples and he says, Guys, there's this great and massive need and there aren't enough laborers to fill the need. So please pray about this. The only time Jesus asked anybody else to pray about a specific thing with him. Verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So with that being said, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me. Let's pray together, ask God to help us before we continue. Father, thank you this morning for what we've already been able to see. And Lord, the challenge of a man who's, who's been busy about your business, 
reaching out to the multitudes, Lord. Those right in front of him, those in the country next to him, those far away to the uttermost part. Please continue to help Brother Verhoof, his ministry, his family. Bless them, Lord, with their health. Bless, encourage them, Lord, not to get weary in well-doing. And show us as a church what else we might do, whether it's for the Putneys from last week, the Verhoofs. Show us, touch our hearts during this missions conference. Tell us what we can do more for the cause of missions. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you can see in verse 38, when it comes to the topic of missions, this plenteous harvest, one of the first things Jesus commands that needs to be done is pray about it. There are other ways we can be involved in missions. We can send people, right? We can support people, but we have got to supplicate. We've got to pray for these people. We need to pray that the laborers go. That, that's directly what Jesus is commanding. We also need to pray that they stay. Do you realize that the majority of missionaries that go to the mission field do not stay? The majority of them. They, and and I'm, not, I'm not trying to speak to their intentions. It's not always their fault. It's not as if they lost faith or anything. Sometimes it's beyond their control. But they go and it, and it only lasts two, three, maybe four years. And that's it. Pray for the laborers to go. Pray that they stay. Pray that they can endure the hardness of the mission field as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Pray for the field. Pray for the ground. I, you know that, right? <laughs> but I've been around enough Burmensa, I've been around enough farmers to know that they do pray for their ground. Is that true? Yella Burmensa, is that true? You do pray for the ground. God, please soften the ground, water the ground. You know that you need heaven's help as a farmer. I have preached Darbe di Lantbo Centrum. They've asked me to open their year in prayer before, and I've preached there before. Nothing like having about five, six hundred Bura there to preach to. The rough, rugged menesio. You have about five minutes to preach, and that's it. They, they don't play around. They got other things to do. But I, I recognized when I spoke to them, I said, you gentlemen as, as farmers, you have a unique opportunity to walk by faith. Because you can do your part, right, to work the ground, but then you have to depend on God to send the rain. I mean, it's, it's not as if you have full control over what you're doing. So I appreciate the need you have for prayer. I think as, when, as it pertains to missions, right, there's a harvest to be had. Let's pray not just for the laborers, but for the ground. That God would prepare the ground where these seeds are going to be falling. In the scripture, I've given you a few verses there at the bottom of your outline that acknowledge this. The Apostle Paul, of course, was a missionary himself. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, you see it in the middle of those verses. Here's your memory verse for the day. Brethren, pray for us. That's, have you got it memorized already? <laughs> Brethren, pray for us. May I ask you this morning, do you have any missionaries on your prayer list? Do you pray for them? Paul acknowledged his need for prayer. Brethren, pray for us. What specifically can I pray for? As I've mentioned, the financial support, the health, the endurance, all of that. Ephesians 6, 19, here's something that Paul specifically requested. 
He's talking to the Ephesians about praying for him, and he says, and for me, pray for me also, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. In that passage, he acknowledges that he's in prison. He's in prison, and he says, guys, I'm not asking that you you pray that God gets me out of prison. His prayer request is, please pray that I can speak the gospel boldly even in this condition, in this situation. The dedication of the missionary is one thing, but what about those that are supporting them with their prayers? What do we pray for? God, help them to speak the word boldly. Help them to speak the truth in love. Prepare the hearts of those that will receive it. In Romans 10, verse 1, at the bottom of the page that I've given you, I I mentioned a verse from the Apostle Paul's pen. This time in reverse, though, he's not asking for prayer, but rather telling us that he himself engages in prayer. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Can we see here that he's praying for the ground? He's praying for the ground. He knows that the harvest is plenteous. And he realizes, he acknowledges, don't you remember in Romans 10? How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe if they haven't heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? So he acknowledges that we need laborers to be sent, but it starts, the beginning of the chapter is, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. The Apostle Paul had a working prayer life, and I'd like for that to trickle down to us. Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, please? Handelinger. The book of Handelinger. The book of Acts, chapter 7. Come to the end of that chapter with me just quickly. I'd like to stop here and show you why I believe the Apostle Paul was very quick to emphasize the need for prayer. Not just for missions, but in everything, mind you. It's, it's, it's important in every aspect of life, but especially when it comes to the work of evangelizing. Uh, Acts 7, verse 58. You remember this chapter, I'm sure. Stephen has preached one of the most fantastic sermons ever preached in the New Testament. The Jewish Sanhedrin, the leaders, the religious leaders, hard-hearted, reject the preaching. They're gnashing their teeth. They're angry at him. And they're about to kill him. Verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. This is the first time we read about this man in the Bible, Saul. You know who he is. We eventually come to know him as Paul. This young, unsaved, zealous Jew. He's listened to the sermon. He is he can see the glow of God on this man, Stephen, right? We read that in, in the text, that his, fa- his face shone like an angel. They couldn't resist the spirit and the wisdom with which he spake. Stephen had a point, and, and Saul knew it. Saul, he was consenting. He didn't try to stop Stephen's death. Look at what he heard next, verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. How do you think that touched the heart of who we now know as Paul? He's holding everybody's coat, right? He doesn't have a great high up position in the Sanhedrin at this point. 
He's watching this preacher die for his faith. And he's listening to Stephen pray. Verse 60, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The last thing Stephen did was pray for the people that were killing him. The, the, not the apostle, but the apostle's helper, we can say Luke, he's the one that wrote the book of Acts. Now you know that Luke was a companion of Paul. They, they walked together, moved together from Acts 16 all the way to the end of Paul's life. Luke was there. So when Luke penned the book of Acts, don't you know that Paul had some influence on how Luke told the story? I am convinced that Paul was very happy for Luke to put this part of the story in there. This is where Saul's story of coming to Christ begins. It begins with somebody praying, and that prayer applied to him, and that prayer changed his life. It changed his life. We need to have a working prayer life. Let's come to James chapter 5 and see if we can learn a few things about a working prayer life. James 5 and verse 16. <clears throat> James 5 and verse number 16. <clears throat> Forgive me if I, go if I do not go deep into the context of James 5. We're dealing with praying for those that are sick. And there's much to learn there. I'm not trying to purposely ignore it, but there's something else I'd like to focus on in the passage. In verse 16, James writes, Confess your faults one to another and pray, for, pray one for another that you may be healed. As I've mentioned, it has to do with the context at large. Somebody's sick, they come to the elders of the church. Because it, and this doesn't mean you can't go to a doctor. It most likely means you've gone to the doctor and you can't find a medical reason that you're not getting better. So there might be a spiritual reason you're not getting better. And that's why he mentions at the end here, confess your faults one to another. Lay it all open for these elders. Let them examine your life and maybe they can spot the reason that God has allowed this sickness to grip you the way that it has. And then pray for each other and then you can be healed through this. Now, at the end of the verse, I want us to focus on this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is extremely effective. That's another way to say it. It is extremely effective. So if I can direct your attention to your outline. First question, and this is a little interactive today, right? Usually it's a fill in the blank, and I give you the word to fill in, yeah? Today, I'm asking that you fill in the blank honestly. Does, number one, first question, does prayer work? Now, there's two ways that you can answer this. You can answer this personally, your own personal experience, and you can put an honest answer on the page. You can answer it scripturally, right? James 5, 16, according to that verse, does prayer work? Oh, it does more than work, <laughs> It avails much. It really works. It really works. The, there is an emphatic yes to this question in the Bible. Does prayer work? Absolutely. It makes a massive difference. Let me give you one story that illustrates how prayer, how much prayer works. You know that my favorite missionary is John Patton. 
He was a missionary to the cannibals of the South Sea Islands in the mid-1800s. He writes in his autobiography, I have heard that in long years after, that is, towards the end of his life, he heard this story. I have heard that in long years after, the worst woman in the village of Tortherwald, then leading an immoral life, but since changed by the grace of God, was known to declare that the only thing that kept her from despair and from the hell of suicide was when in the dark winter nights she crept close underneath my father's window and heard him praying during our family worship time and she heard him pray this specifically that God would convert the sinner from the air of his wicked ways and polish him as a jewel for the Redeemer's crown. One must ask himself, why is she crawling underneath his window? <laughs> what is she up to? Imagine her great surprise crawling underneath this window for whatever reason and hearing this man pray that God would save that sinner. She goes on to say, I felt that I was a burden on that good man's heart, and I knew that God would not disappoint him. That is, she knew God would answer his prayer. That thought kept me out of hell and at least led me to the only Savior. So this immoral, wicked woman, as she gave her testimony years later, what was it that led her to Christ? She says, at the very least, you'd have to You'd have to point to James Patton, John's dad. She heard him pray, and that is what kept her from killing herself and eventually led her to the Savior. As I got to thinking about this, I thought, well, how can we maybe employ this same tactic? How can we get people to creep underneath our windows? And then I thought, we're in South Africa. <laughs> We have no shortage of people creeping underneath windows. <laughs> that is not the problem. The problem is finding men that are leading their families in prayer. The problem is not a lack of sinners crawling under the window. The problem is men inside the homes praying audibly for sinners to be converted from the air of their ways. We have no lack of thieves. We have no lack of harvest. We have a lack of people with a working prayer life. Now, at this point, you might be tempted to say, well, the reason prayer worked in the case of that woman is she actually heard James Patton praying for her. And pastor, what you're asking us to do is concentrate our prayers in part on people on the other side of the world that we will probably never meet. So is there really any evidence that our prayers are making a difference for those people that cannot hear us praying? Is there any evidence of that? Some people would be tempted to, and many people do, say that when you're praying for something, and that's all you do, you only talk to God about it, and then that thing takes place, the thing you're praying about happens the other person might chalk it up to coincidence. Say, well, thank you for praying, but there's really no way you can prove that your prayers actually made the difference on the other side. How can you prove that it was your prayers that made the difference? 
I appreciate that question. That's a fair enough question. How do you prove that? Let me give you a very simple illustration I think that will help us understand it. Here you sit with a great need, whatever it is. You fill in that blank as well. And out of seemingly nowhere, a man shows up and says, I'm here to help. I, I believe you have this and this need. And you sit in utter amazement. <gasps> How did this man know that I needed this? He came out of nowhere and with exactly what I need, right when I needed it. Wow, mind-blowing. What would you do? You would probably ask him, how'd you know, right? That's what I would ask. How did you know? I want to know more of this story. And then what if the man said, well, you have a friend that is aware of your situation. They couldn't help you, so they told me about it. And since I have the resources that you're lacking, and I heard how great your need was, I immediately stopped what I was doing, and I came as quickly as I could, and that's why I'm here. Now, do doesn't that seem plausible? That would, I'm sure that's probably happened in your life a time or two. God knows it's happened multiple times in my own life. Somebody cares about what I'm going through, and they couldn't help fully, so they asked someone else to pitch in. They called in a favor. Now, humanly speaking, I think we can all wrap our heads around that, right? That makes sense. We can see how that would very much happen. What do we need in order to understand how it all worked? We need revelation. Here's what I mean by that. You have to ask the question, how did you know? And then that person can tell you, so-and-so told me, and that is what moved me to action, right? So, so what about these people on the other side of the world? How do we know that it helps? Well, all you have to do is ask the question, how did you know? That person on the other side of the world, we were praying for them to get help, and then all of a sudden the help showed up. We need to ask, hey, sir, how did you know to take this or that thing to that person? Who was involved? What moved you to do this? And then we wait for an answer. Let me give you the answer from the Scripture. Let's allow God to speak and let Him tell us if prayer makes a difference. Because in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, God says this, now, the nation of, of Judah was just too far gone. God was going to bring the Babylonians. He was going to punish them. And he told Jeremiah, don't even bother praying for them. They're too far gone. They're, they, I have to punish them. But God said this in the process. He said, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. So that tells me one thing. You don't want to wait too long before you start praying for people. Because there does come a time where God says, listen, it's gone too far. There's a sin unto death, and I say not that you pray for it. So better to start with that working prayer life now while people have a chance. But this also tells me that one man, Moses, one man, Samuel, made a difference in how God treated the nation. One man. God, what happened how did you know? Why did you have mercy? And God says, well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Moses, Samuel, they really personally couldn't do anything about it. They didn't have the resources to fix the problem, so they called in a favor. They told me about it, and I went, and I did something about it. I had mercy. I was plenteous in grace. I fixed it. And now we have the whole story. Now we know who cares about us. Now we know that prayer works. How do we know it works? 
It's a matter of faith. God said it works. God flat out told us that is what changed my mind on those occasions. Somebody prayed. Somebody prayed. I think you're all familiar with the story in the book of Genesis with Abraham and his nephew Lot. In Genesis 18, the Lord appears to Abraham and he tells him, I'm going to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the map. Abraham, being a very good Jew, immediately begins to negotiate and says, Lord, uh, let's talk about this. Eh? Well, what do you say if we find 50? You know? And he starts to negotiate. It, and, and if you look in Genesis 18, never does Abraham mention the name Lot. He prays for the city. God, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Will you spare it? Sure, sure. Uh, well, Lord, let me talk to you a little bit more. Eh? How, do you feel, how do you feel about 45? 45, huh? Eh? Horses, uh, all right, all right, all right. Deal. Uh, Lord, let me ask you this. What about 30? How do you feel about 30? Can we do it for 30? 30? The Lord says, tell you what, I'll do it for 30. 20. <laughs> I'll do it for 20. Abraham starts thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah. 20 righteous? Mm. 10. Lord, final offer, 10. Can we do it for 10? The Lord says, I'll do it for 10. If, if I find 10 righteous people in that city, I won't burn it to the ground. And Abraham says, Clar. <laughs> no, he doesn't say Clar. <laughs> he says, done. And off he goes. You know how the next chapter works, right? Lot, he's sitting in the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Things are going drastically wrong. God deploys angels, two angels. You remember this? Lot protects them, puts them up for the night, and then the sinners of Sodom are banging on the door, deliver us these men, we want to know them. Oh, things are getting very bad very quickly. It is revealed to Lot that Sodom is going to be burned to the ground. Lot goes out and tries to rescue his own family, his daughters and his sons-in-law. They laugh at him. They mock him. Then what happens? The angels grab Lot and his wife by the hand and pull them out of the city. I don't think Lot ever realized why he found such mercy. That was an answer to Abraham's prayer. Even though Abraham never verbally said, please save Lot, God knew Abraham's heart. He knew why Abraham was asking for mercy on Sodom. It wasn't that Sodom deserved the mercy, but Abraham had a soft spot in his heart for his nephew Lot. Please, Lord, spare the city for Lot's sake. God knew that. It meant something to God. Guys, shouldn't that mean something to us that God actually considers what is touching our heart? Lot never knew where the mercy came from. <clears throat> the angels pull him out of the city, of course, his wife turned back, turns into a pillar of salt, but Lot himself found mercy because somebody was praying for him. You know, you know how that story concludes? You read about Abraham at the end of that towards the end of that chapter. After Sodom and Gomorrah has been burned to the ground, Abraham goes out in the morning and he looks out he can see the smoke rising from the city he never does meet Lot again we never, we never read anywhere that Lot and Abraham saw one another after that day Abraham just as humanly speaking 
he assumes his prayers don't work. But they really did. So you might have answered on the paper, does prayer work? Well, scripturally, yes, but for me, no. What, what might Abraham have thought? He, he might have thought, well, I tried to pray and it didn't work, but it did. It made a difference that he could not see, that he did not see until after his physical life was over. Does prayer work? A resounding yes. Number two, second question on your outline. We're in James chapter 5. Look with me at verse number 17. <clears throat> Elias. So James is going to use an illustration for how prayer works. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Second question. Can anyone make prayer work? Can anyone make prayer work? Now again, I'd like for you to answer that honestly, uh, personally, and then you can also offer a scriptural answer to this. I believe the Bible makes it clear in verse 17 that we have to put an another in all capital letters, Y-E-S. It's a resounding yes. Anyone can make prayer work. Say, but pastor, in verse 17, that's just the Holy Ghost blowing through, don't worry. In verse 17, it says Elias. We know him as Elijah from the Old Testament. I don't think any of us would dare try to put ourselves on the same spiritual platform with Elijah, would we? I mean, here's a man... If I be a man of God, let fire fall from heaven, right? Here's, here's, that's a man of God, right? <laughs> but look at what James wrote about him. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what James' point is? Elijah was just a man, just like you and me. Struggled with the same thing. He had temptations. He had doubts. And if you read Elijah's story, you know that he did. He struggled with depression. He was a man subject to like passions as we are. People would say, but I'm not Moses. I'm not Samuel. I'm not Stephen. I'm not Paul. I'm not Elijah. And you can still make prayer work. Because, thank God, he does not require that we are on that spiritual platform and have the spiritual resume like these great men that I've mentioned. Here's a great verse that goes with prayer. You guys remember this. Romans 8 verse 26. The Spirit also helps our infirmities. Listen to this part. Listen to the noun. For we, the pronoun, we, we know not what to pray for as we ought. Paul puts himself in that group. Paul says we have a shortcoming. That's an infirmity. What's our shortcoming? Where do we fail sometimes, Paul? We need the Holy Spirit's help because we don't know what to pray for like we should. We don't take that infirmity, that shortcoming, and say, well, I can't make it work. I'll leave it to the, I'll leave it to the prayer experts. There are no such things. There are no prayer experts. All of us fit in Romans 8, 26. We know not what to pray for as we ought. Don't let that stop you from making prayer work. 
God never expected you to make prayer work by yourself. You have the help of the Holy Spirit to make it work. I, maybe you've heard this phrase before. Somebody can be a prayer warrior. Heard that? You're going to have to fight your flesh to make it work. Anybody can be a prayer warrior. I don't think anybody will ever be a prayer expert. But you can certainly be a prayer warrior. Listen to some of the things that God expects in prayer. Let me begin by saying there are a couple things he doesn't expect in prayer. And if you're like me, this is a great relief. He does not require precise articulation when you speak. Thank God for that. Have you, have you ever gone to prayer and you really don't know what to say? Because like Paul said, we don't know what to pray for. And we, Father, Lord, I'm, uh, uh, Lord uh, hello, are you there? Yeah, it's a bad connection. <laughs> we, we stumble and fumble and, and we feel like we're, you know, six years old as we're talking to God. Have you ever felt like that? And, and did you know God doesn't mind? It's not like God says, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Click. He doesn't do that. That's not what he's interested in. I, I, somebody taught me a new word this week. Operflakech. Operflakech. I have been practicing that word I, I, at least a thousand times. I've said that word in the last three days. Operflakech. I still don't know if I'm saying it correctly. I see some of you kind of shaking your head like, shame, shame, yeah. Hey, probier mar. That's Americana. <laughs> I'm sorry if I don't get it just right. That in the word chalikech. I, I put too many chachachas in there. Did you know sometimes I pray in Afrikaans? I do. I do. Father, alsjeblieft help me om hierdie taal te leer. Ek wil in hierdie taal vir ander mense die evangelie verduidelik. Alsjeblieft help me. Help me. Thank God he's not expecting precise articulation. <laughs> Because then none of my prayers would get answered, especially those prayed in Afrikaans. He doesn't expect great eloquence. Have you ever heard somebody get called on for prayer? Please lead us in prayer, you know? And, and oh, heavenly, gr great heavenly Father who created the heavens and the earth. I, listen, I, lovely. I, I'm, pray, pray as you see fit, but, but let it be from the heart. God doesn't require the articulation or the eloquence let me tell you some things he does require humility genuineness sincerity fervency righteousness patience listen to this one brokenness listen to that list again but now think about it, think about it like this can you accomplish and achieve all of these things? Humility, genuineness, sincerity, fervency, righteousness, patience, broken. Anybody can do those things. Can anyone make prayer work? Absolutely. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible. Hold James. We'll be right back. Come to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. <clears throat> You know, one thing you don't want to be in prayer is operflakech. <laughs> As I understand the word, it means superficial, right? You don't want it to just be a show, something on the, surf on the surface. 
in, the person who taught me that word had no idea that this sermon was coming, so thank you for teaching me that word. It's, it seems appropriate now. Colossians 4 and verse 12. I've actually preached about this verse before. Maybe some of you remember it. We preached about the prayer life of Epaphras. Let me just use this verse again to illustrate one thing. Colossians 4.12 says, Epaphras, here's the important part for today, who is one of you? Who's Epaphras? Well, some say he's the founder of the church at Colossae, maybe. Good chance of that. We know from the book of Philemon, he was a fellow prisoner with Paul. We know at Colossians 1, he was a minister in the church at Colossae, so he preached to some extent, we know. But he wasn't an apostle on the level of Peter, James, John, Paul. At the least, what we know is he was a member of the church at Colossae. He is one of them. He's just a church member, doing what he can. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Verse 13, for I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Herapolis. Why would Paul say, I bear him record that he has great zeal? He knew that Epaphras really loved those people because of how he prayed for them. And notice he didn't pray just for his own church. He prayed for the church over there and the church over there and the one in Switzerland and the one in Pakistan and the one in India. He prayed for all of them. He labored fervently in prayer. So you got to be a big shot. No, you just have to be one of you. As I studied this, and you know this is true. If you've read the Bible, you know that this, this stands true. Sometimes a name uh, is significant, right? Somebody's name has a, a, a meaning that is significant to the story. This is true of Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's a significant name. The name Peter, right? Peter means a stone. Yeah, let's say a clip, a clippy. Have you ever heard this saying, he's a chip off the old block? That's, that's what Peter was. Jesus, he's the rots. What He's the rots. He's the boulder. He's the big rock. And Jesus, or Peter, he's just the little stone. He's a chip off the old block. But that name is significant. Jesus gave Peter that name later on in his life. Significant. Uh, Saul. You know what the word, the name Saul means? It can mean somebody that is asked for, you've requested him. It can also mean death. Isn't that fitting for our New Testament Saul, death? You know what the word Paul means? Humble, little, or rare. Doesn't that seem fitting? I think it's significant. And I thought when I read this in, in Colossians about Epaphras, I thought, man, I'm going to dig into this and I'm going to find the meaning of Epaphras and it's going to be significant and it's going to wow the church members. Yo, that's what the name means. And I, I was so excited. I looked it up and I got, the, I got the information and his name means covered with foam. <laughs> it took me about five minutes to recover from that because I, I thought, really? This man has to have a better name than that covered with foam 
And I, I sat there at the desk trying to, okay, foam, foam, foam. How does that work in the Bible? Foam, how can I link that into another verse? I thought, it just doesn't work. Lord, he's covered with foam. What does that mean? How is that significant? His name, it sounds like it's just a name. That's all that it is. It was a common name. You know what, you know what I learned from it? You don't have to have a big name to get a lot done in prayer because we don't pray in our own name we've been commanded to go to the father boldly in the name of jesus christ we have access and authority to boldly approach the throne and find grace to help in time of need in the name of the lord jesus not our own so you can be covered in foam and still learn how to pray <laughs> don't worry if you think i'm not a big name in the christian scene you don't have to be you don't have to be come back to james if you would please James 5 in verse 18. So in verse 17, we've read that Elias, he was a man like us, and he prayed. He prayed earnestly, and it, it accomplished something great. But verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So this is the third thing on the outline. Are you willing to work at prayer that's what we're talking about a working prayer life does prayer work yes can anyone make prayer work yep anyone now this one you have to answer this is a personal question this isn't a scriptural question I cannot use the Bible to answer number three you personally are making a choice a commitment if you will are you willing to work at prayer I want to show you that Elijah did in verse 18 it says he prayed again it wasn't a once off thing Elijah prayed he prayed again and I'm sure he prayed again and again and again we just saw in Colossians 4 that Epaphras labored fervently he labored fervently in prayer he worked at it my question for you is, are you willing to work at it? If I can illustrate my point by maybe referring your attention to the instruments behind us. I can bang the drum halfway decent, I think. Not the most complicated instrument to figure out, although some people can really do amazing things with that drum, but I can, I can carry somewhat of a beat. You put me behind the, the piano and it'll sound a bit clunky but I can work my way through a song you put a harmonica a guitar a trumpet a flute a tuba please put a tuba in my hands I just I would feel manly having a tuba there <laughs> you put any of those instruments in my hands and you probably won't want to spend much time around me it's not going to sound very nice I have no idea even where to begin playing those instruments it would sound like a cat dying <laughs> or some other large animal. <laughs> now, you could maybe take the tuba or the trumpet or whatever it is away from me and then ask the question, does the instrument work? And the answer would probably be, now, just generally, yes, the instrument is not the problem, is it? Does the instrument work? Yes. Does the instrument work for me? Absolutely not. <laughs> 
Absolutely not. So I have two choices from this. I can say, that's it. I don't know how to play this instrument. Set it aside and say, it's not for me. Or I can pick up that instrument, sit behind that instrument, and work on it, and work on it, and work on it. At first, it sounds horrible. It doesn't make sense. You can't understand the tune. You don't even know what song I'm trying to play. It's just a bunch of noise. You give me enough time, and if I work hard enough at it, eventually a beautiful melody will come from that instrument. You see, what a lot of folks do is they look at prayer and they say, yes, it works. Generally speaking, it works for them, but it doesn't work for me. Well, then you need number three. Are you willing to work at it until it starts to sound the way it should? Let me make this clear. Prayer is not an instrument that, if played correctly, will get you everything you ask for. Do you understand that point? This is not a sermon that tells you how to use God as an ATM. That, that this is not what work, a working prayer life is about. Prayer is so much more than just getting what you ask for. I, I mean this in the right way, and I think you know that. That's a childish approach to prayer. That's an immature approach to say, well, I asked, I didn't get, <laughs> didn't work. That, that, there's more to it. Prayer is an instrument, when played correctly, creates the perfect background music for a rich, full, and fruitful relationship with God. When played correctly, it allows you to understand the mind of God on a particular matter, and it helps you to know how to respond and what you can do in a given situation. You may not get your way. God may not do it the way you're asking. That's when you work at it and say, God, I asked for this, it didn't work out. Can you please explain why? And in so doing, your relationship with God goes to another level. Prayer is the background music for a full relationship with God. I have found this to be very true in my own life. I think this will be true in yours as well. These two things coincide. The more I know about God, the more I know about prayer. Prayer and the knowledge of God go hand in hand. You cannot have a working prayer life without a working knowledge of God. Again, let me use a very simple illustration for this. Most of you, you are limited in your knowledge of me. And not, this is not a condemnation in any way, but the only thing you know about me is the pulpit me. You know this, and, and that's fine. This is just time and, and opportunity. Uh, it hinders us from knowing each other better. If you had more exposure and more experience with me, our relationship would be deeper. When we'd sit together, we'd have more to talk about. We could talk about more intimate details, right? We, because we know each other better. But if you're limited to the pulpit me, then when we do actually get private time, we don't have as much to talk about, do we? What you need is more exposure and more experience. Not with me, because I'm probably not worth the time, but 
if you were to have more exposure and more experience with God. And yes, this can come through reading the Bible and hearing preaching about the Bible, but it also comes from actually walking with Him and putting into practice what you find in the Bible. Listen, doing things with people affords you that rich experience that allows you to build a full relationship. Say, I'm not know where to st- I don't know where to start. How- what should I do? Just try. Just try something and say, God, I'm trying to do this for you. Would you please walk me through it? Talk me through it. And all of a sudden, the more you do and attempt to do, the more you get to know about God and how he reacts to what you've done and the more you have to rely on him to give you instruction and the relationship begins to build. A knowledge of God and a knowledge of prayer, a working knowledge of prayer. They go together. The disciples in the book of Luke, they asked Jesus this question. Or let's say they made this request. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I've given you the question, are you willing to work at prayer? Maybe you could make a little subnote to that. Lord, teach me to pray. Did you know Jesus answered their request? Many times did he teach them about prayer and then finally at the end of his life he said guys come with me I got a job for you let's go to the garden the disciples fell asleep are you willing to work at it we need more than just a commitment more than just a one time request more than a yes on the paper later on today maybe tomorrow throughout the upcoming weeks when you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart saying come apart for a while Let's take a few moments in the cool of the evening. Come spend some time with me in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the time to watch and pray. Peter said it like this, The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Are you willing to work at it? I'll close with this illustration. John Hyde, any of you know this name? John Hyde. His nickname was Praying Hyde. Praying Hyde, H-Y-D-E, missionary in Pakistan, uh, more than 100 years ago. He began to pray. He had such a broken heart for those people. He tried to reach them in every way he knew how, evangelism, preaching, uh, group session, everything. And he knew we're not making any headway. He decided to call together the few other Christians that were there and let's begin to pray. And praying Hyde, he's, he started praying multiple hours every day that God would give them souls. He came to the group and he said, I believe that God is going to give us one soul a day for the next year. And for the next year, one soul a day got saved. And he said, now I'm going to up it, pray for two souls a day. Two souls started getting saved every day. After 30 years of praying for that place, tens of thousands of Pakistanis and Indians had been saved. And it went back to praying Hyde, John Hyde. What made the difference? He had a working prayer life. Took time, took effort, but well worth it. If we're going to make a difference in foreign missions, a working prayer life is a great way to do it. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed.
softly. I want to. I want to ask you to consider these questions one more time. If any of you feel the need to take a knee where you're at or take a seat again to spend more time in prayer, you're welcome to do so. Does prayer work? Well, now the answer is yes. Deep down, you know that. Deep down, you know that. Number two, can anyone make prayer work? Well, now deep down, you know the answer to that as well, don't you? The answer is yes. Anyone can make it work. Even you. Even you. Number three, are you willing to work at prayer? That's the tough one. Please answer honestly. No one's asking you to become a prayer expert. They don't exist. Just asking you to work at it. You don't even have to see all the fruit of your prayers. Abraham didn't. said that our prayers make a difference that's enough for me that is enough motivation for me to put in some serious time and effort God said it makes a difference Father thank you this morning for allowing us a few moments to open up your word what a great encouragement we find today that our prayers can actually move your heart. Lord, so many times I've approached you and, and didn't know what to say and the words came out seemingly backwards. I feel like I'm just at the beginning, at the start of learning how to do it and I don't know any better way to pray than to just pour out my heart and let you make sense of it. Help me help us, Lord, to know you better because I know that'll change the way we pray. Teach us more and more about yourself. there happens to be anybody here this morning that's not saved that instrument will never sound right until they've been washed clean in the blood of Christ sin will just wreck that instrument prayer won't make any sense at all touch that sinner's heart convert convert the sinner from the air of his ways Father, we pray for Brother Verhoof. Encourage him. Use him. For all the places he's reaching out to, give him strength, endurance. Help him to speak boldly wherever he gets the chance. Thank you for your, your time, your help, your presence this morning. Please see us home safely and 
Lord, continue to draw us closer and closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.